Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to a brand new message. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. I'm going to get right into it this morning. James chapter 1. Uh, this is our opening passage of scripture. Starting in verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, when that baby grows up, gives birth to death. I'm going to call our message this morning, and then you can uh, be seated. Uh, Build your future. Build your future. Let's clap our hands one more time. You guys can take a seat. So glad you guys could be here. Thank you so much, worship team. Uh, So glad you guys could be here, every single person. Everyone watching online, we love you guys. just so pumped you could be here. My name's Harrison. Uh, if you don't know, if you're new, and I'm just excited you're here. So uh, the last number of weeks, actually, this is week seven. Uh, we've been doing seven weeks on this theme of build. We just said that God is calling us to build. Our theme for this, this year, our vision for this year is to build, and that is what God is calling us to do. So for the last three weeks, we spoke on this idea of truth. You guys, anyone here for the last like, three weeks or heard them at all? Uh, We spoke a lot about truth, and one of the things that we said is that the reason it's so important to understand truth is because each and every one of us are lied to all the time, in many ways, by culture, society, so on and so forth. And so if we do not understand this fundamental idea that Jesus is truth, we'll not actually be able to build um, a solid foundation. So that's why we spent three weeks on truth, and I really want to encourage you, if you missed any of them, they're all online, you can check them out. Uh, This morning... We're going in a different direction. This morning, I want to talk about building your future and how we can get to the place that not only we want to be, but the places that I believe God has for us. So, uh, for those of you guys that do not know, uh, my wife is very pregnant. And, uh, like, babies come in any time, any day, really. Like, it, it, could be, it could be soon. It could be in service right now. And then, like, who's going to preach? We'll find out. Uh, but one of the things, uh, my wife is a nurse and uh, got great benefits, shout out to AHS, um, taking a lot from us this year, but you've given me benefits, which uh, is amazing. So uh, one of the things that we do when Christy uh, goes on, on mat leave is that we like really use our benefits because when she goes on mat leave, we don't have benefits. And so like we just like get it all done in the last month, like go get your teeth clean, uh, all that stuff because like it's gone for a while. Uh, so couple months back, uh, I went and got my eyes tested. And I went and got my eyes tested first time in like three years. Uh, and so they did kind of the regular stuff. You guys have got eye checks before? So they did like the thing where they blow the little puffy thing into your eye, which is kind of weird. And then they did the thing where just the eye kind of uh, the letter test, right? You know that one where it's just like, duh, 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 duh. so did all the tests and I was talking to the doctor, finished it off. I said, doc, give me the news. And he said, well, uh, he said, your, your eyesight, uh, it's, it's, it's not bad. He said, you don't necessarily need glasses, but they could be beneficial. Now, all I heard was you don't necessarily need. So I said, have a good day, sir. Um, 
But I said, like, well, what do you mean I don't necessarily need it? He said, well, uh, you, you can see things close up fine. Like, your vision right in front of you is, is totally fine. Uh, it's the things in the distance that are causing you trouble, right? It's the things far away. Like, the, the technical term is that you're nearsighted, right? Meaning, like, everything that you can see in front of you is crystal clear. You're totally fine. But the farther things get away, uh, it's, it's getting a little more blurry for you. So what that means is, like, when you're driving, Sometimes that could be an issue, seeing things in the distance. Sometimes, like when you're uh, watching TV, maybe if it's far away, it might not be as clear as it could be. He said, but you're, you're, you're nearsighted, so what you can see in front of you is good, so you don't necessarily need them, uh, but like it could be beneficial to help you see things farther away. And uh, I left that place, and I, I didn't get glasses. Because I just said, you know what, like I can see things in front of me clearly, that's all that really matters. Like the things in the distance, the future, the far away, that'll take care of itself. Now, whether I made the right decision or not remains to be seen. I didn't even mean to do that, but oh, I actually didn't get it myself. I was like, why are these people laughing? <laughs> but uh, I was thinking about my, my eye test and this idea of being nearsighted and I began to realize that when it comes to the way that a lot of us live life, I would say that a lot of us live life in a way where we are nearsighted. And what I mean by that is this. A lot of us can only see what is right in front of us. And so what that means is that when it comes to the decisions that we make, how we live our lives, the majority of us will base our decisions only on the things that are close without worrying about the things that are far. In that way, I would say that our culture is nearsighted, meaning I make decisions today not really too concerned about how they affect me in the future. I would say, and you guys probably know this, we live in an instant culture, right? Instagram, instant satisfaction, instant gratification. And so for a lot of us, this is just kind of inbred in us. Only worry about the moment. Only worry about right now. But what I want to show us today is that the way of Jesus is not primarily nearsighted. It is, in a sense, and we'll go there, but it is also farsighted as well. And what we're going to understand about the way of Jesus is that Jesus calls us to have eyes for the moment while still looking ahead to the future. And the irony, I think, about this idea that we live in a nearsighted culture is that although most of us make decisions strictly for today, I would say the large majority of us would also say, I want a great future. Right? Like, I want a great future. I want things to work out well for me. Yet, we'll make decisions not necessarily thinking about tomorrow. So I said something um, in, in week one of this series, and I'm going to go back to it, and really it's kind of the thesis for our message this morning. But what I want to do, because we're talking about this idea of building the future. How do I build my future? I think it's really simple. So you may have this in your notes already, but you can reiterate it because it's, it's going to be our, our point today. I want us to understand that the future is built in the present. The future is built in the present. What I mean by that is that I must be nearsighted, but my eyes must also be towards the future. Why? Because the future is actually built right here, right now. Can I give you an example of what that looks like? When you, when you work out, a few people, a few chiseled people in here. Anyone that's worked out will let you know that the moment that you actually exercise, the moment that you actually get to the gym and you, you crush the workout, all of those things, you don't necessarily see something right away. And the reason you go to the gym is not so you can look great right away. 
The reason you go to the gym constantly and continually is so hopefully in the future you begin to start to see a difference. And so people that are really dedicated to working out, people that are really dedicated to the gym are not just nearsighted, they're also farsighted. Because they realize the decision I make today is also going to affect me tomorrow. So here's what I want us to understand. As I walk with Jesus, what does it look like to take that posture? What does it look like to be nearsighted but also be farsighted at the same time? Now, I'm going to show us that if we can begin to do this, we will begin to have a better future. But before I get there, I want us to understand what this looks like in the negative. That's the gym is the positive, right? Can I show you what this looks like in the negative? Because I'm going to argue and I'm going to show us, I think a lot of us, unfortunately, do this, but reverse. James chapter 1, this is a New Testament book written by a man named James. James, who happens to be the brother of Jesus. Jesus, who I happen to believe is Lord because his brother believed he was Lord. And if his brother believed he was Lord, I think he was probably Lord. (laughs) If you didn't get that, it's fine. James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Here's what I want us to understand. And this is where I'm going. When I say that the future is built in the present, the truth is this. Every single one of us is building something right here and right now. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what am I building? Because at the end of the day, for a lot of us, I think we end up asking this question. And maybe you're here right now. Maybe you're watching online. This is where you are. And the question is simply this. How did I end up here? How, why does my life look the way it does? And the truth is, is because at some point in the present of your life, you were building something that affected your future. So James gives us a pattern. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to show us the whole pattern. But this is essentially what he says. He says that the way in which we get to the unpreferred future, he says it starts with evil desires. He says people are dragged away by their own evil desire. Now, the evil desire in and of itself cannot do anything. But what James says, he says, when the evil desire is conceived, in other words, what he means, he says, when you act on that desire. In in our graph, when you indulge, he says, when you indulge in the evil desire, you have now sinned. Now, I'll give you kind of like a fancy definition of sin. What sin really is, it's the indulgence or the acting on of our twisted desires. That's what sin is. Now, you need to understand something about this graph. Evil desires indulge sin. Sin sounds like a really bad word. And for a lot of us, it's like, oh, my gosh, well, if my life was in sin, I would know it. No, you wouldn't. Because you need to understand something. The only reason we do these things is because they feel kind of good. I'm going to tell you something. We're my lactose intolerant people out there. Listen, the first 10 bites of the blizzard, they still taste pretty dang good. 
It's like, I, I don't care what my stomach's saying. Like, come on. And this is the thing with sin. I'm going to show us as we go into it. It doesn't feel bad right away. In many cases, it feels good. And this is why James doesn't stop at sin. He says, sin, when it is full grown. In other words, over time. In other words, the more I let it stir around, he said, sin then gives birth to death. This is the graph that we go forth through. And maybe you're on a particular portion of it, but at the very end of the day, the point I'm trying to argue is that the future is built in the present. It's built on the decisions I make in the moment. Now, for a lot of us, it's like, wait a second, like, you're saying like I'm actually going to die? Like you need to understand there's an enemy and the enemy wants you literally dead. Not just like physically dead, not just like emotionally, he wants you literally dead. But the process of death that James is talking about here when it comes to sin is not just a physical death. But it's, it's a metaphorical death. It's a spiritual death. It's, it's this place in time where I don't feel the way I'm supposed to feel, where I cannot enjoy the things that God has me to enjoy. That is a form of death. So th this is the pattern in the negative. If I could give it like um, an even simpler graph, I would just say it like this. Oftentimes, immediate gratification will lead to long-term pain. Immediate gratification will lead to long-term pain. If you missed the first graph, don't worry. It's, it's coming back in a second. Um, but does this kind of make sense? Yeah. Now, that's like I'm giving you guys a theoretical. It's breaking down to James chapter 1. Now I'm going to give you a practical sense. What, what does this actually look like? What does this look like, and how, does, how do I get to a point where my, my present or my future is not what I want it to be? So let's do a case study. Can we do that? I want you to just imagine for a moment someone um, really hurts you. Let's say emotionally, not physically. Someone emotionally hurts you. They've taken advantage of you. Um, they've uh, hurt your feelings, whatever it may be. Someone's hurt you. We've all been hurt before. Now, when someone hurts you, generally speaking, because we're going to go by the graph that, that, that um, James gives us, there's going to be an evil desire. So someone hurts me. Someone has offended me. What do you think the evil desire is? What do you probably feel? can't understand you guys, but I would say that, um, I don't know if that was masks or mumble or what. But like for a lot of us, maybe we would say, well, the evil desire is anger, right? Like I'm just angry. I want to see something. Ephesians chapter 4, this is Paul in the New Testament. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. This is important for our case study and for life. He says, in your anger, do not sin. He does not say that anger is a sin. Anger is not a sin. Anger is an emotion. And at the very end of the day, if there is an injustice done to us or to people, there are so many circumstances where you can and should feel angry. It is natural. But what Paul says, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Sin is an emotion that we have, but he's saying if we let it control us, it is going to lead you to a sin. So I want us to understand what is the evil desire? If it's not anger, what is it? Well, well Paul continues in, in verse 32, Ephesians chapter 4. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So what do I do with my anger? Paul says we forgive. What, what do I do with my emotion that is anger, that is not wrong, I forgive. 
But what happens is this. If I am angry and I do not forgive, now I'm sinning. Now my desire is evil. So if anger is not the evil desire, what is the evil desire? Unforgiveness. Can we, can we see the graph? We're going to start. Evil desire, what is it? Unforgiveness. So what happens is someone has hurt me. And I am angry, and that is fine, and that is justified. What is not fine, what is not justified is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a sin. Why? Because Jesus forgave you. And if Jesus forgave me of my wickedness, if Jesus forgave me of my sin, if Jesus forgave me of my shortcoming, I don't just think about forgiving people. I am called to forgive people because he first forgave me. But what happens for a lot of us is we have this unforgiveness, this evil desire. And again, even the thought of unforgiveness isn't the worst thing. It's the moment that we indulge. Because that's when Paul says, or when James says, it begins to build. And so for a lot of us, and maybe you guys are there, a lot of us actually wear unforgiveness as a badge. A lot of us think unforgiveness is a Gucci jacket. Don't cross me, bro. I don't forgive and I don't forget. Like, I'm just one of those people that you don't mess around with. I'm just one of those people that, bro, like, you cross me, that's it. I'm all about loyalty. You guys know those people? Any of you guys, that's you? <laughs> Come on, somebody. That's why we're in church today. And so we indulge. And we say, I'm not going to forgive. And what happens is that when we do that, we sin. And once we are sinning, and again, it, it might feel good. Anyone ever held unforgiveness and it kind of felt good? Like, mm-hmm, you don't... You don't cross me, right? I'm going to let that person know. James says when it is full grown, it leads to death. Put it this way, because we're using unforgiveness as a case study. I say it all the time. Unforgiveness is the poison that we drink, hoping the other person dies. The reason we don't forgive is because we don't want to let the person off the hook. But what we don't understand is that forgiveness does not let them off the hook. Forgiveness lets you off the hook. Because so many of us walk around with these hurts and with these pains from other people. And when we don't let it go, the reason it becomes death is because it won't just affect that relationship. It will begin to affect every relationship. Let me give you guys an example of what this looks like. Any of you guys ever heard of church hurt before? What church hurt is this. Pretty simple. Uh, it's this idea that the church and or church people hurt me. Now... I want you to understand something, especially if you're new to church, but even more so if you've been in church for a long time. The church, what it is, it is a body of believers. In other words, the church is just a whole bunch of people. Now, there's something you need to know about people, all people, every person, and every person in this church. We are broken, imperfect, and sometimes stupid. That's every single one of us. So let's just take it together. That means sometimes the church can be broken, sometimes the church can be hurtful, and sometimes the church can be stupid. Why? Because there's broken and hurt people. So what that means, I want you to understand this. I'm giving you guys some great church advice right now. If you call Kingdom Church home, you can look, look around a little bit. Um, specifically the people closest to you. The people closest to you that make up the church 
are the ones that are actually the most likely to hurt you. Why? Because the people that are close to us always hurt us the most. That's just a principle. And so we need to understand that if the church is full of broken, imperfect people, that means at some point, if I am in church long enough, someone from church will hurt me. Listen, you're in this church long enough, you get close to me long enough, I'm going to hurt you at some point. It'll probably be because of a joke that I told that I think is really funny. You weren't ready for it. <laughs> Were you guys ready for that one? Uh, but at the end of the day, what happens, and this is where we're going, back, back to the case study, what happens is that if I do not forgive, because again, the church is just a people, which means church as a concept has never hurt you. People have hurt you. And God calls the people, whatever they have done, what does he call you to do? He calls us to forgive. But for a lot of us, we do not forgive. And so we hold it, we indulge in it, and then we begin to sin. And what happens, and the reason it leads to, to death, is because, as I said, unforgiveness is the poison that you drink. Meaning, everywhere I go, and this is what church hurt looks like, it means someone in a different church hurt me. Someone in a different decade hurt me. But I never forgave them. And so everywhere I go, I still hold that pain. I still hold that unforgiveness. And so what happens when I go to a new place, a new church, meet new people, all I can see is old places, old churches, old people. And I actually will not and cannot treat people how they are. I will only treat people how I perceive them. And how I perceive them will be a great deal connected to my unforgiveness. You, you can put it like this if you're taking notes. It's a really fancy way to write it, and it helped me, and it's helping me. Um, you can write, hurt people, comma, hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. What that means is this. If I'm a broken person, which I am, I'm bound to hurt someone because hurt people hurt people. But I also need to understand that everywhere I go, there is hurt people that might hurt people. And if I do not forgive, I will carry this around everywhere I go. And it's not just in church. It's the exact same thing in relationships. Can I, can I tell you one of the reasons that second and third marriages fail at a drastically high rate? It's because something happens in the first marriage and there's never forgiveness. And so when it comes to the second marriage or the third marriage, the new person is just the old person in a new body because I never forgave. And so I don't actually view my new person through who they are. I only view them through the lens of the person that hurt me beforehand. And this isn't just related, it's friendships. Listen, if you're somewhere and you're like, man, no matter where I go, I just cannot have good friendships. Everyone betrays me. Everyone hurts me. I would argue perhaps you have some unforgiveness in your heart that is affecting you and not letting you move forward in the future. But do you guys see, and, and this, what I'm trying to say, is a form of death. To be unable to have healthy relationships is a form of death. Why? Because relationships are life-giving. Community is life-giving. But if I cannot trust people, do not trust people, I am actually dying a slow death. And really, the future that I'm building, though, started in the present because of unforgiveness. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going to give us one more case study because I want this to, to, to really um, hit home. Let's just say um, you're married. Some of you guys are married. Some not. Let's say you're married. Well, shut up. Shut up, married people. Um, 
you're married and you see someone that is attractive. I'm going to let you guys in a secret. Uh, once you get married, good-looking people are still good-looking. It's crazy, right? It's like I got married. Everyone became hideous. No. Uh, so good-looking people are still good-looking, yet I'm married. Now, I heard a pastor put it like this. And we're going to look at the graph in a second. Uh, he said kind of like a hypothetical conversation with God. Married person, uh, I see someone that's good-looking. I'm talking with God. And I'm like, God, that person's good-looking. You know what God will say? God will say, yeah, I made them. But move on. Right? Move on. You're married. So here's what I want us to understand. When it comes to this idea, um, what, what is the evil desire? The, the evil desire is not that I see someone good looking. The evil desire is that I believe that I must act on how I feel. Because I feel this way, I have to act on it. So next graph, what's the evil desire? Pretty simple. I follow my feelings. I'm just going to follow my feelings. And so I indulge. I'm a married person, but I indulge. Let's not beat around the bush. Let's go straight to it. We just have sex. Do the deed. Called an affair. Now, what happens with that? Uh, you've indulged and now you have sinned. Now, what I, I told you before is that sin at the start doesn't always feel bad. So, if you, if you have, if you're, you're cheating on your spouse and you're having sex with someone else, it might actually feel really good. In fact, I guarantee you it'll feel really good. Because something happens in life when we do stupid things. It releases a whole bunch of endorphins. Jump out of a plane. I think it's really stupid. But the reason people do it is because it's going to release a whole bunch of endorphins. So what happens, it's going to feel really good in the moment. It's kind of what I'm trying to say. But James, if we understand it, he says after time, that's going to give birth to death. It is going to cause death. And so what happens for so many people that get into these things that have affairs is because they're being 100% nearsighted. All I see, all I feel, all I know is what's right in front of me. And because all of those things, all those emotions, all of those desires are so strong, I can't even think about the future. I can't think about what this will do to my family. I can't think about what this will do to my friends. I can't think about what this will do to my reputation. All I can think about is what I'm going to feel in the moment. And that leads to death because we cannot understand the toll that it has on people, on families, relationships, so on and so forth. Um, I was talking to someone, and this person had an affair, and uh, had an affair and married the person they had an affair with. I was talking to them, and they said, uh, my life right now is really good. I love the person that I'm married to. But at the very end of the day, if I could go back in time, I still would not do what I, what I, what I did. I would not have cheated. And they said, the reason being, the price that I paid was too high. And there's nothing that can take that back. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? This is the pattern. And this is how so many of us get to a place where it's like, I don't know how I ended up here. James says it's because of what you're building in the present. And so he continues, James, he says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits 
of all he created. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, he's saying, this is the road. This is what leads to death. So don't be deceived. It may feel really good in this moment. It may feel right in this moment. It may feel like this is what you're supposed to do. But he says, don't be deceived because every good and perfect gift comes from God. And God's way, he's saying, is so much better. Verse 18, he says, he chose to give us birth. The way of sin leads to death. God is trying to give us a birth, a new birth, that we might become a first fruit. What he's saying is that we might grow into something, that we might actually live a satisfying life. So here's the thing. I want us to build our future. Do you guys kind of understand how you, how you build a bad future? For a lot of us, it's like, just keep living the way I'm living, yes. Let's reverse engineer it now. How do I build the future that God wants for me? How do I build the future that God has for me? Well, I just got to reverse it. You see, if having a bad future always starts with me only thinking about the moment, what do I need to do? I need to start thinking with the end in mind. I need to flip it. So really simply, we said the way to death was that immediate gratification equals long-term pain. Flip it around. What's the way to life? The way to life is that immediate obedience will lead to long-term satisfaction. If I realize that it's all about that moment, that gratification, sometimes it's obedience that can flip the script. So here's the question I want to ask us. What choices can I make today that will better impact tomorrow? What choices can I make today that will build a better future? What choices can I make today that will reverse the curse, that will break the, the path that a lot of us are on that leads to death? Well, I have to start with the end in mind. Does that make sense? What's the end? John chapter 10, this is Jesus speaking. He says it like this. The thief comes, talking about the devil, to steal, kill, and destroy. We just read that. He says, I have come. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So what is the end destination that God, that Jesus wants for us? Jesus wants us to have a life filled full. He wants us to have a life full of abundance. He wants us to live abundantly. Kels, can you get the, get the, uh, the next one up there? Keep going. Other way. There we go. Life abundant. This is where we need to start. If I want to have a better future... I need to begin to believe that I actually want to have a full life. Where does a full life come from? John tells us, Jesus says, I have come that they may have a life and have it to the full. So if I want to have life abundant, that's the first step. How do I get there? I have to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have to believe that the only way to an abundant life is through Jesus. I have to believe the gospel. This is it. It's cut and dry. If I want to live an abundant life, it starts with believing the gospel. Gospel is a fancy word for good news. Now, can I share with you guys what the good news is? I said, can I share with you guys the good news? Because like, I actually, like, I really feel like I'm going to preach this, so I need you guys to be ready for it. Um, the good news is predicated on the bad news. So in order to fully understand the good news, I must first share with you the bad news. Can I share with you the bad news? Each and every one of us are sinners bound to hell. You're like, oh my gosh, that is bad news. 
No, that's, that's the bad news. Each and every one of us is sinners bound to hell. Why? Because God is holy and you are not. Because God is perfect and you are not. Let me tell you how the Bible works. In the Old Testament, God lays down his law. And really what the law is supposed to do, Paul says the law is supposed to show us how holy God is and how unholy we are. So I want you to go, if you have the time this weekend, just a couple, 12 hours, and read um, Exodus all the way to Numbers, Deuteronomy. Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I know my Bible. Um, <laughs> that was just for my own thing. Read Exodus to Deuteronomy. Every single rule in there. There's a bunch. That is what you have to do. That is what you have to keep in order to be made right with God. But hold on, it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. That wasn't enough. Jesus comes along. And a lot of people have this idea um, that like when Jesus came, like he's like this, this, this loving, like daddy kind of guy, and then there's like angry father God. Um, and so like Jesus was going to come to undo all that God had said and done. Jesus comes, Matthew chapter 5, and he starts talking about all the rules in the Old Testament. And he doesn't say anything like, you have heard it said um, this, um, but I say just chill, just live life. That's not what he says. Matthew chapter 5, he says, um, You have heard it said that you shall not commit murder. But I tell you, any person that is angry at their brother or calls their brother an idiot is worthy of hell. That's Jesus. You're like, Jesus? Jesus. He continues. He says, You have heard it said. He's actually saying, I once said that you shall not commit adultery. He says, I say... Any person that even looks at a person with lust has committed adultery in their heart. He goes through all of these things and he says, unless, I'm paraphrasing, unless you can follow the rules and go above and beyond, better and followed more than you could ever imagine, you are bound to hell. You know what Jesus came to say originally, the bad news? He said, y'all are going to hell. Why? Because you are not righteous enough. You are not good enough. There is nothing that you could do to be found right with God in your own power, in your own goodness. But Jesus comes with all that bad news, and then he brings the good news. And the good news is this. The Bible lets us know that on the cross, come on somebody, Jesus took everything. The Bible lets us know that on the cross, Jesus took literally the charges that were held against you. You may not know this. You may not want to think about it like this, but there is a charge against you. There is a charge on your life. The charge says sinner. The charge says unworthy. The charge says bound to hell. But on the cross, the Bible says Jesus took that charge and he nailed it to the cross. I'm not, I'm, I'm not even close to done yet. We're still getting started. And it says, literally, the legal indebtedness that was held against us, Colossians chapter 2, it says he nailed it to the cross and he literally disarmed the powers and the authorities. What is he talking about? He's saying that the devil who is our accuser, the devil who is our, is our condemner, he had something to say about each and every one of us. He said, you know your past. You know how unworthy you are. You know how, how, how messed up you are. You don't follow God's law. You don't follow God's rules. But the Bible says that Jesus made a mockery of the accuser. He disarmed him. 
What, the, what Jesus did on the cross is he took away the devil's biggest bullet. Come on, somebody. And his biggest bullet is that he wants to condemn you. He wants to accuse you. He wants you to feel like you are never enough. You could never be enough. There's nothing in your power that you can ever be do, ever do to be made right with God. But Jesus said, yep, that's why I'm going to do it. And on the cross, he disarmed him. And so what that means is for every single time there is an accusation against us, if we are in Christ, Romans 8 verse 1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If I am in Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So when the devil says you're bound to hell, you can say in Jesus, I'm going to heaven. When the devil says you are full of death in Jesus, I have life. When the devil says you're a sinner in Christ, I'm a saint. You want me to keep going? That's the good news. That's the gospel. That is what I need to believe, that I'm on a one-way ticket to death. But Jesus paid the price. And Jesus did what I could not do. And on the cross, he took my shame. He took my sin. And he said, you are forgiven. He said, you are saved. You see... It's important to understand the gospel first. If I want an abundant life, I need to understand the gospel. I need to understand where I stand with God. If you are in Christ, I'll tell you where you stand. You are saved. You're a saint. It's as simple as that. You see, for a lot of us, when we reverse engineer the last and the negative, we think that, like, in order to change, well, I just got to change my behavior. If there's a whole bunch of behavior that God wants me to change, that must be it. So we say, oh, an abundant life, what do I do? I just change my behavior. That's not how it goes. If you want an abundant life, the thing you need to do first and foremost is you need to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is not in the business of changing our morality. He does not want to change our behavior. He's not into behavior modification. He is into heart transformation. He wants to literally change you from the inside out. He doesn't want to change your behavior, but your heart is still far away. And so I need to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And believing the gospel of Jesus Christ will let me know that every single thing that Jesus has for me is not to limit me, but to free me. Listen, forgiveness. We're talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a rule to follow. Forgiveness is a principle that frees us. A principle that will help us to live life and life abundantly. Listen, I'll put it like this. Um, I'm not like into it as much as I was, but like I was on the iPhone train for a while getting the new ones. Um, And so like I remember, I think it was iPhone 7 that came out. And when the iPhone 7 came out, what they said was that uh, the iPhone 7, all these new features, whatever, whatever. But it said that uh, this one is waterproof. But like it's waterproof um, for 20 minutes up to a certain depth. You guys remember that? Some people? Waterproof. Now, every single person, myself included, that heard that, I don't think any person would say when they got their iPhone, man, my iPhone came with so many rules. I'm not allowed to submerge it in water for more than 20 minutes. No one said that. What they realized was that Apple created this product and they know everything that they need and it needs in order to survive. And so not submerging your iPhone is not a rule to follow. It is a principle in order that your iPhone will live. 
Do you guys understand what I'm saying? And so if I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, I understand a couple of things. I understand that in him, I intrinsically have value. In him, he loved me enough to die for me. And he loved me enough that he will never send me anywhere or call me to do anything that would ever jeopardize life and life abundant. God does not hold you back. God is wanting to liberate you. So listen, let's finish the graph. If I want life abundant, I need to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from there, I can begin to follow the way of Jesus. I begin to follow the way of Jesus. Listen, rules a lot of times come with this connotation of restriction. Rules are meant to restrict. The way of Jesus is not about rules. But the way of Jesus is about disciplines. Literally, the, the root word of, of, of disciple is discipline. If I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I must be disciplined. And the reason that I am disciplined is not to approve, to get God's approval. I'm already approved. The reason that I put these disciplines in my life is because I believe so wholeheartedly, even if I do not feel it, what God wants for me is best for me. Can I give you a couple, of, just a couple of, like, disciplines that I think will give us life I think reading your Bible and I think praying will give you life it's life given Jesus says be watch be on guard pray why because he says the spirit is well but the flesh is weak but it's a life-giving principle and so what this means if I can understand hey I just want to have abundant life because of Jesus I'm going to believe and follow his way. Here's the issue that so many of us get into. This graph is done, by the way. But what happens for a lot of us is we add a fourth arrow. And the fourth arrow says, follow the way of Jesus if I feel like it. Follow the way of Jesus if I want to. I want you to understand something. Everything that Jesus says and has for us is not predicated on our feelings. It is is built on what is best for us. And so there are so many times, I'm talking about the discipline of prayer and Bible study, there are so many times in my life where I don't necessarily feel it. But I do it with the belief that God's going to plant something in my spirit. And you wouldn't believe how many times where I'm meeting with people, talking with people, and my, my, my conversation goes something like this. You wouldn't believe what I read this morning. Let, let, me, let, me, let me show you something. And this is what God revealed to me. But what happens is when we add that fourth arrow, we just don't do it. And so what happens is we never experience the life abundant that God wants for us. Can I give you another example where we stop? We need to stop um, to bringing our feelings into it. Sexuality, sex, and sexuality. A lot of us start with feeling. Well, let me just see what I feel. Let me me just see how how I feel. You need to understand, that's wrong. When it comes to sex and sexuality, don't start with feeling, start with future. Where do I want to be? Well, I want to have a life abundant. That's what I want. And so what that means is I need to trust Jesus. I need to believe the gospel. I need to believe that Jesus created me. And how he created me was not an accident. It was intentional. And what God calls me to do is not an accident, it is intentional. 
And so I'm going to follow the way of Jesus. I'm not adding the fourth era about feeling because that's irrelevant. Proverbs chapter 4 puts it like this. It says, above all else, guard your heart. For everything that you do flows from it. Listen, culture says follow your heart. The Bible says guard it. These are two conflicting messages. Culture says follow. Jesus says protect it. Put, put, Put things around it. Guard it. Why? I'll tell you why so simply. You can write this down. Your feelings can and will and do lie to you. My feelings can, do, will, have, happened, will always lie to me. That's why there is no verse in the Bible, maybe Chris Harrison 316, that says, follow your heart. But Proverbs 4 says, above all, guard your heart. Why? Because my feelings can and be wrong. My, can be wrong, and many cases are wrong. Can I, can I give you guys an example of something that you may feel, but it's totally wrong? Porn. It's 11-11. I'm just going there now. Porn. Now, I'm going to speak not theologically, but I'm going to speak on psychology and biology. So one thing they're finding when it comes to pornography is that the more that you consume it, the more that you indulge it, the less your brain is able to respond to it. You can look it up. Tons of studies. And so what happens is that because the things that once aroused you no longer arouse you, what you have to do is you have to find more and more hardcore more and more down the line in the deep darks of the interweb in order for your brain to elicit a response. In other words, in order for you to feel something. So this is where, and I, I don't need to name things. Can you guys just think of some disgusting, disgusting things that people do, that people watch, that is illegal, that involve children? Would you guys agree that's probably wrong? Let me tell you something. Every single person that does that thing, I'll tell you one thing, it feels right, and it feels good. And and biology will literally say your brains are telling you it feels good, telling you it feels right. But the Bible does not say follow your heart, follow your, it says guard it. Why? Because it can and will lie to you. The feeling may be valid. You can write this down. The feeling may be valid, But if it goes against God, it's going to lead to death, even if I can't see it in the moment. Can I give you another one that I think we need to to, to stop bringing our feelings on board? Church and church community. I need to be farsighted, not nearsighted. I need to be farsighted, not nearsighted. Why? Because church is kind of early. And so if I'm nearsighted at 8.30 a.m., I don't want to wake up today. I'm just going to sleep today. It's going, to feel a little, it's going to feel a little better to sleep today. But if I believe that the church is God's plan and God's purpose to reach the world and build community, I need to believe that what happens here is actually making a difference. I need to believe, even if I can't see it right now, even if I can't feel it right now, even in this moment, if I don't want it, I don't want to be here. Harrison is saying some uncomfortable things. I'm believing because I'm far-sighted that God's depositing something, God will deposit something when I come to this place. That is why we say come to church expecting, expecting God is going to do something, expecting that my worship 
will actually change my life. That when I give God something, that's actually all I ever needed. But I have to be farsighted. I can't just be short-sighted. I'm going to speak very directly to people with kids. A lot of them online. You need to be farsighted. You cannot be short-sighted. You are very, very farsighted with your kids a lot of the times in terms of what they eat. That's why they eat the things they don't want to eat. Because you know what's best for them. I want to encourage people that when it comes to children, there is nothing more valuable that you can do than bringing them to church. And you may not see it in the moment. You may not see it, but it makes a difference. I'm fully convinced. I'm just, I'm just going to say something. It's not in my, my notes, my messages. Um, my family is not perfect. We're not perfect. Uh, but both of my parents, no matter what happened, never stopped coming to church. And I believe wholeheartedly that we are all here. My whole family is here this morning because my parents never stopped coming to church. You, and so you have to be farsighted. You cannot be short-sighted. And you never know what you deposit today that will make a difference in the future. I share this with my men's group. Can I share it with you guys? And unfortunately, it's just the truth, but it's specifically to men. Um, Mothers that end up becoming Christians, just the mom. Statistics tell us that 17% of people where the mother becomes a Christian by herself, 17% of those people where the whole family will follow, meaning the statistics are very, very low. If just a mother is a Christian, the chances of her family becoming all Christians is very, very low. Here's the crazy stat, and this is why I shared with my men's group. Not all of them are married, but I said, hey, we're going to be married men one day. We're going to change the world. When a father becomes a Christian, when the father is the first person in their household to say, I'm coming to church, 93% of the time, the whole family will follow. Parents coming to church together. Literally, the stats say that if parents come to church together, they make it a consistent thing, regularly. That's the key word. 71% of their kids will end up in church in the future. Now listen, if you don't fall into those statistics, you're like, man, what's my, like, I'm in trouble. (laughs) You're here today to build a future. Come on, you're here today to break cycles. You're here today to break chains. If you're the first person in your family that's a Christian, come on, somebody. You're here today to build a future. And what you're doing today is making a difference. Listen, if you're here as a family today, what you're doing is making a difference. It may have been a struggle this morning, but it's making a difference. And so the future is built in the present. The future is built in the present. James chapter 1, I'm closing on this. It says, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Literally what he's saying is this. In our life, the reason that that God wants us to build a life right now is so we can have an amazing future, but it's not just for us. A first fruits is a type of offering. What he is saying, he's saying our lives can literally be an offering. What that means is people can look at you, people can look at me, people can look at us, and their lives will be changed because of our faithfulness, because of our obedience. People are gonna look at your life and say, I want what they want. Where did that come? Well, I just began to build my future in the present. I began to do things today that made a difference for eternity. And so I want to ask us this question today, church. What 
is God calling you to build today? What's the practice you need to put into place today? In the flip side, what do I need to put to death today? What are the things that have been leading me not to life but to death? How many of us are holding unforgiveness? How many of us do not serve God but serve our feelings? Today is the day that I believe you've heard the gospel. And the gospel is that Jesus has done the heavy lifting. He's done everything that needs to be done in order for you to be made right. All you have to do is trust in him. All you have to do is believe in him. And you will be saved. And you are saved. And you can begin to build your future. So right now, I just want us to just stand for a second. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I want to just pray over us and pray for us. Um, if there's anyone right now that's just like, man, I need, um, I need Jesus. Harrison, I'm not sure. Like, I've been here for a bit, but I think, like, I don't know if I understood the gospel before. If you just want just God to just come in your life, you just want to feel the spirit of Jesus, I just encourage you, just raise your hand right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I just want to pray for us. If you want to just open your hands, you can receive this as well. God, I just pray for each and every one of us, Lord, that we can just receive a measure of your spirit. God, I pray that we can believe the gospel. I pray that we can just put to bed lies, that the desires that do not lead us to life, but lead us to death, Jesus. God, I just pray today that for anyone in this moment that is experiencing you, that they just continue to push forward to that feeling, to that inclination, God. And they take the steps to follow you, to serve you once and for all. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Let's clap our hands. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. We hope that message encouraged and inspired you. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We'd love to connect with you. Until next time, take care.